Today we're going to start a new series. It's called Something for You. And as we lead up to Christmas, we're going to see some of the story of Christmas, but we're going to mainly be talking about the applications of the birth and the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So if you have your bulletins, uh, most of the outlines in your bulletins, you know me, I, I give a lot of detail. And then there's some blanks there for you to fill in. And so that today's principle is turning the control of your life over to God. Turning the control of your life over to God. About 700 years before Jesus Christ was born, the prophet Isaiah saw his coming and he gave us a remarkable prophecy. It was read this morning and we're going to look at it today. So let's read Isaiah chapter number six again in verse of chapter nine in verse number six. The Bible says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. When Isaiah wrote that, the situation was it was dire. In Isaiah chapter 8, the previous chapter to that, in verse number 20, it says that the whole nation, that there was no light in that nation. It continues and it says that they will look to the earth and they'll see trouble. They'll look and they'll see darkness. They'll see gloom of anguish. They'll be driven further into darkness. So when Isaiah was writing this prophecy, it was a culture and it was a nation of people who were living in a time of crisis. And what we read this morning, what we've looked at to this morning, is has incredible re relevance to us, especially as we move into this season. These last few years have been some things that, that you have never seen before. And we're, as we move into this, we think that we're coming out of, of a crisis period. But I think we're going to see that in 750 B.C., we see that Israel was acting very much like the culture that you and I are living in today. We have advancements in our technology. In fact, we do quizzes on the phone now. How crazy is that? I don't know how we're going to stop not doing Googling it. You know, anyway. <clears throat> You know, we have these advances. We have these incredible things that are happening with, with, with government. We can communicate quickly. And yet multitudes of people are living in hopelessness. We have a society today that is literally living in open rebellion and sin. In many ways, and you, you've, you've observed this, in many ways they're living in rebellion to God's very order for society. And from that, sin happens. And sin is simply defined as falling short of the glory of God. We often define sin as something that we do bad between each other. But it's actually falling short of what God's glory is for our lives. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Just like today, back 700 years before Jesus Christ came, People were looking for answers to the very challenges that they had in life. And as you travel the world, you'll see that most people have the same sort of basic issues going on. So Israel here had departed from following God. And whenever you depart from following God, just like the last series that we were looking at with, with the judges coming in, there's always a cause and there's always an effect 
And the first cause that we, we see here that, that we're just going to lay down some, some background here is we see that when Isaiah was talking about a child born, a son is given, that they were living in a time of leadership crisis. They were, it was, they, leaders weren't rising up. Men and women of God weren't coming forward with answers. They were choosing immature leaders. The Bible says they were literally choosing leaders who were acting like children if they weren't children themselves. The children were leading them. Isaiah 3 verse 4 says this, I will give children to be their princes, and babies shall rule over them. That was part of the judgment of God upon them, by the way. Now, further, it says there that leaders were chosen based on their popularity. There's a passage of scripture there in Isaiah 3 that says that they chose people who could dress well, who could look well. And they said, you be our leader. And the people would, would come back and they would protest and say, we're too busy to be your leader. We do not have a cure for the things that are the problem in our society today. Leave us alone. Don't make me a ruler of the people. One of the verses says, so it was, a, it was a time of turmoil when no one wanted to rise up and actually lead in a godly fashion. We see here another thing that, that, that Isaiah was living in during that time is that where people were, were, um, um, were motivated by materialism. Um, Isaiah 2 verses 7 and 8 says that their land is also full of silver and gold and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is also full of horses, and there is no end to their chariots. These were wealthy people. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their fingers have made. They were, they were worshiping materialism, and they thought that everything was good, so therefore they must be doing okay, when actually they were living in a time of crisis. Isaiah 5, and it's not on the screen, but Isaiah 5, verses 8 and 9 continues. It says this, very interesting. As I was reading the passage, it says that, that they were building houses, paying them off, and they said, we've got to build bigger houses. So they started adding to their houses. And there's nothing wrong with renovations, but the Bible says in the next verse that they were doing renovations without a purpose. They had no, 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 nothing else to do, so they just kept building. Reminds me of the bigger barns. That was the situation there. They were crisis of leadership. They were motivated by materialism, but they were also driven by entertainment. Whatever could entertain them. It, it's an amazing thing. In Isaiah chapter 5, the Bible tells us that when Isaiah was writing this, he wrote this. He said, Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may follow intoxicating drink, who continue until night until the wine inflames them. They lived, they were drunkards. And then it says here in verse 12 that the harp and the strings and the tambourine and the flute and the wine are in their feast. But they do not regard the work of the Lord, nor consider the operation of his hands. They were celebrating without a proper cause. They were just party animals. That was their society. Sounds familiar? And then it says here that also, and by the way, I came up with that six or seven of them, but I'm lowering it down here to about four. Another thing is they were deceived by superstition. They were seeking guidance and counsel, but they were seeking the guidance and counsel 
in all the wrong places. Isaiah chapter 2, verse number 6 says it this way. For you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob. This is the prophet. Because they are filled with eastern ways. They are soothsayers, like the Philistines, who were their enemies. They are pleased with the children of foreigners. They allowed the culture to invade them. And it broke their relationship with God. Isaiah said that the Lord had turned away from them because of it. And they didn't even know it. Isaiah 8 verse 19 tells us that the people actually went to Isaiah the prophet. And they said, the man of God. And they said, look, what you're saying to us isn't working. So won't you seek counsel from mediums and wizards? Because these mediums and wizards, the Bible says, they whisper and they mutter. Interesting times that we find here. It gets worse and worse as you read the the passage leading up to chapter number 9. When it says that as they were looking for answers, they would look upward, they would look downward, and the, the more they looked, the more they got into trouble, the darker they became, they lived in doom, they lived in gloom, and they were driven, the Bible says, and I quote, they were driven into, as it were, deeper darkness, as if you can get deeper dark. So let's review the situation that Isaiah says. This prophecy of the coming of the Messiah is in a time when there's a crisis in leadership. It was in a time when they were materialistic people. It was a time when they were, they were deceived by superstition and they were driven by entertainment. These were lost people. Now what would you expect God to say and to do to these people It would be reasonable to expect him to just lead them to their own destruction. God often does that, you know. Part of the judgment that God often does is he simply leaves you alone. And he could have done that. He he, he does that in Romans chapter number one when he warns people when they turn away from God. he, He says in verse 24, he says, He gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their heart. Just go and do your thing. He says in verse 26 of Romans 1, he gave them up to their vile passions. Often we wonder, why doesn't God do anything? That is the judgment. He says in verse number 28 of Romans 1, that he gave them up to a debased mind. Unclean, lust of the heart, vile passions, and a a debased mind. Sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? So let's close in prayer. No, there's hope. There's wonderful hope. Thank God for hope. There is a right answer. But these people, the Bible says in verse number 2 of chapter 9, these people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And this great light, it says here, uh, they, they walked in darkness, they seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, that light has shined upon them. A prophecy. Sound familiar? Well, it should. Because in Matthew chapter 4, there's no screen on this, but in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 16, it says, the people who sat in darkness saw a great light. And those who sat in that region and that shadow of death, light has dawned, and is referring to Jesus Christ. In the book of Luke, in chapter number 4, 
the Bible tells us that, that, that Jesus goes back to his town, his hometown, and he goes to the synagogue in Nazareth. And as, it, as the custom was, they would ask the, the visitor to, to read a portion of Scripture. And he could pick any portion of Scripture that he wanted to read. And so, of course, Jesus goes and, and he picks the, the passage and he chooses the scroll and they prepare it for him. And lo and behold, he opens up the, the book of Isaiah, the book that we're looking at today. And he picks a passage from Isaiah 61 and he reads this. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and, to, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. He's reading straight out of that prophecy. He says to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The Bible says that everybody's listening to that and they go, yes, that was a prophecy from Isaiah. He closed the scroll. He got ready to go and sit down. Before he did, he made an application. He said this, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So if you miss anything else in this message today, understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy. And this prophecy started over 700 years before Jesus Christ was born. Yes, God had a solution. And that solution is a child was to be born. Isaiah chapter 6, and we, we read again, he says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. First of all, I want to point out to you that this child that he's talking about, this answer to the crisis that they're in, is a unique child. The Bible uses a term here, two terms here, that, that can only be applied to one person in history. And that is, he was born and he was given. When a child is born, he is born as a person, as a human. When he's given, he's the Father's gift for you. He's both God and he's both man. The writer of Galatians, the Apostle Paul, said it this way in Galatians 4 and verses number 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, when it was the right time, he says, God sent forth his son. And how did he do it? He was born of a woman. He was born under the law. And why did he do it? To redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Don't miss that this Christmas. There's something for you. John 3.16 reminds us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is a unique child that Isaiah the prophet said would be born. So Christian, as you and I celebrate this wonderful Christmas season, as we look at the lights, if you notice more and more, you don't see manger scenes anymore. You don't see anything like that. You see kangaroos dressed up like Santa Claus. That, that just really knocks me away. But, um, but you don't see that. But you and I know the answer. And that's the thing that we need to share with people. It doesn't just start in the manger. It started 700 years before. In fact, it started in the book of Genesis. But we see another thing in this prophecy from verse number six. 
For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. The government shall be upon his shoulder. Look at verse number seven. It elaborates on that. It's a unique government. We have a unique child with a unique government. He says here, here's the government. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This government that he's talking about will be a never-ending government. It's in the future yet. It will be a, a government that will have total peace on this planet. It will be one with justice. It will be, be one that will um, be located in Jerusalem on the throne of David himself. It will be the Lord's doing, he says. Mankind can never bring in the kingdom. So listen to, uh, let, let me just quote to you a couple things. Um, uh, just, just listen to this as I, as I read just a few different passages when Isaiah then talks about what this government's going to look like. This is the future for you and me. We who know Jesus the Savior. He says here in, in, in Isaiah 11, verses 4, 6, and, and 9, he says, but with righteousness he will judge the poor. He says that the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. That'd be interesting. It's going to happen. He said, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child will lead them. There'll be peace and there'll be harmony in nature. He says, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Everybody will know about God. Everybody will understand what the purpose is. Everybody will understand that the glory of God is the, is the answer to this government here. But in Isaiah 35, he says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb will sing. Oh yes, there'll be joyful singing They'll be praised during that. Isaiah 35, verse number 10 says, and, and we often um, sing this. We have, we have a song that goes like this. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow, and sighing shall flee away. <laughs> it's, it's, it's totally opposite of what we had just seen of crisis that's your future but it can also be yours today you can turn the government of your life over to this child this unique child you can turn the government of your life over to him today and by doing that you will start by placing your trust in jesus christ as your lord and savior he's not a baby in a manger He's, he was given to us. This is the beginning of his reign in your life. When we surrender our all to him and he becomes the Lord of our life, we can remember the situation with Israel is our situation today. And if that's our situation in society, that would be your situation in your home. 
That could, know, that could be your situation in your own inner life. A situation of sin. A situation of rebellion. And from that you see the effects of that in your life and in your families. But all that can be turned around. Countless lives are being turned around. Uh, in fact, as I look out and I can see many of you have testimonies that, that you could share right now and you could say, here's what Jesus Christ did in my life. And it started by giving your life to Jesus Christ to be the savior of your sin. But it doesn't end there. It starts there. Believer, let me tell you, turn to Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. And let's, let's see how you actually turn the control of your life over to God. This is going to be just some practical application here. I'm going to go through this rather quickly, but there's some spaces there you can fill in. But Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, a, a passage of scripture that I would recommend that you commit to memory, that you put this in your heart and you begin to meditate on this. From this passage, if you continue to read in Romans chapter 12, I shared this with the youth on, on Friday night in, in, in our breakout group, in our grow night. And from that, those two verses there, then you can know what it has, the gifts that God gives you, the motivation he gives you to serve. But it starts in verses 1 and 2. And here's what it says. Paul says this, the Apostle Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, what is that acceptable and perfect will of God. So if you're going to turn the government of your life over to God today, it begins, one, by recognizing God's rule over your life. And here's how you do it. And there's three things in this verse. And then there's a fourth thing I'm going to give you that covers everything. The first thing is you present your physical body. In order to accomplish his purposes through you, you actually do it physically. And so he says here I, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The Bible often talks about that in the New Testament, how our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. He's dwelling within you now. So how are you glorifying God with what you do with your body, with what you do physically? How is that glorifying God in your life? God is taking control of your life. After all, the government will be upon his shoulder. We will see that in the millennial kingdom, but now we can live it today. Number two is, he says here in Romans chapter 12, verses, verse 1, he says, by yielding your mind, learning his truth from God's word, yielding your mind. How's your thinking going? How's he transforming your mind? That's called discipleship, getting into his word. I congratulate you for being here today, but you're doing exactly what Christians should be doing, feeding your hearts and your mind with the word of God. What are you doing? You're handing the control of your life over to God. I'm going to show you how that's going to work in just a moment. But the next thing, and this is the thing you and I struggle with all of our life, surrendering our will to know God's design for us. God has a design for you. 
So how is it doing? How's God's will becoming your desire in life? Where your want to is what he wants you to do. And that becomes your very desire. That's what he means here by, by um, the government will be upon his shoulder. But it all is by giving your love to God. This is the heart of the whole matter. In John chapter 14, Jesus says to his disciples, If you love me, keep my commandments. See, that, that was the main thing. He didn't say, keep my commandments and just toe the line. He, it's, it's a love relationship that he has. This child who was born, this son who is given, came because of the love of God, and he's teaching us to love God. Do you love God? You know, you will as you, as you grow closer to him, as you see his plan for your life. And as you begin to do that, you're going to do, and this is my, my second and last point, although it has 15 subpoints. You can begin enjoying Christ's rule in your life. A lot of people think that they're enjoying life today. In, in, in ancient Israel, 700 B.C., we saw that they had a crisis of leadership, and yet at the same time, they were living materialistic lives, they were building things and then worshiping them. They, they, they were also in, involved with entertainment. And yet they still had questions that weren't being answered. So they were seeking answers in the wrong places. Today we have life coaches for everything. You know, as you enjoy Christ's rule in your life, you can look back to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6 because we can see what his name is. These names are his title. I started out by, I was going to do a series on these names. But we're going to maybe touch on that throughout this, this time, but not today. I'm just going to tell you, here's what Jesus is for you. His name is wonderful. Wonderful in the Hebrew literally means it's miraculous. What he does is miraculous. We sang about today. This Savior lived for us, and he died for us, and he rose again for us. His name is wonderful. We no longer have to live with the cheap substitutes that the world offers us to occupy our minds, to get us excited about something that we really don't know what we're excited about. We're just going to be excited. No, his name is wonderful. He's also, his name is Counselor. Boy, we sure need that today, don't we? We're making decisions all the time that are major decisions that have an effect on our life and our family. And we're often bewildered by the issues of life. But his name is Counselor. So we're no longer bewildered by all the issues in life. No, we have wisdom to make the right choices. His name is Mighty God. He has strength. He's not just a God. He is the mighty God. He gives us the strength to carry on serving the Lord, taking a stand on your convictions. His name is Everlasting Father. He gives us a, an eternal perspective. We're no longer living just for now. We actually see what's going on. That's the beauty of the Bible. The Bible tells us where we were, tells us who we are, tells us what's going to happen. So we can have that wonderful, wonderful new dimension of living. 
so that we can do what, what Colossians said, we can now set our affections on things above and not on the things on earth. And finally, his name is the Prince of Peace. He gives us calmness in the disturbance. You know, during that time when all that was going on in the nation of Israel, and it was actually going on with, with them when Jesus was even born, and it's here today still, there are believers who have contentment. There are believers who in the midst of this have peace and confidence, and they have contentment in their life. Let me ask you, have you accepted this Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you have, then give him the control of your life and watch what he does for you. It's wonderful. He's counselor. He's the mighty God. He gives you eternal perspective and he'll give you a peace that passes all understanding. Let's all stand together, please. And let me ask you to, to at this time right now, to ask God, how am I going to respond to this? We see here that when When Isaiah gave this prophecy, he told these people who were in the midst of darkness and there was darkness all around. He said, there is a light that's actually shined. It's shining right there for you right now. For unto us a child is born. Lord, we thank you for your word today. And I pray the Lord that you will speak to our hearts because we know that it becomes a heart matter. And as we move into this wonderful season, Lord, I pray that our testimony that we have with our families will be a testimony that Jesus is not just our Savior, but He's our Lord. And we've given the government of our life over to Him. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Lord, we pray in His name. Amen.